Hello, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by money. Merriam-Webster defines money as generally accepted as a medium of exchange, a measure of value, or a means of payment. And today's guest, Daniel Suelo, defines money as that which separates the producer from the consumer and separates us from the consequences of our own actions. Interesting. Uh, I'm an unemployed server working in New York City, so when I need money, I go to the New York State Department of Labor and I file a claim for unemployment. So if you're like me, uh, go ahead and visit nysdol.org to claim unemployment and get money from the government or get a job or uh, exchange money, uh, get money by way of goods and or services rendered. Thanks, Money, for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, welcome to Down by the River, everybody. I'm Terrence Hartnett. I'm your host. Um, before we get into the rest of the intro, I want to just thank everybody for listening. We had an amazing first week. It was like it was incredibly impressive to me. We had almost 300 downloads on the first three episodes. Um, a lot of shares on Instagram. Thanks for everybody for, who shared it or messaged me and said that they liked it. Um, all of those things are incredibly stultifying to me. Stultifying is a word I learned from <clears throat> a guest you're going to hear this week because this week is caveman week. That's right. We're talking to people who live in caves. Okay. We will discuss that at a later time. But first I want to thank everybody who reviewed the podcast. We had um, oh, more than 20 uh, five-star reviews and uh, nine or 10 people wrote reviews themselves. So they actually uh, went in and typed things, which I think helps more. So please, uh, if you're listening to this right now, you could just scroll down at the bottom of the page where the logo is, where my face is. You could just click write a review and just write something, anything that you feel about the podcast, as long as it's extremely positive. I want to thank uh, people who took the time to write a review. Harris Alterman, Noah Rockland, Jacob Lowry, Shane O'Connor, Chris Cassimi, Nikolai Roscoe, and a few people who I have no idea uh, they're real identities, uh, including uh, a user named Big Man and Peace Cups. And my favorite is uh, Chevy Astro Van Heusen. Chevy, Chevy Astro Van Heusen had this review. This is a great review. I really appreciate this. <clears throat> it's called Good Stuff. I went in hoping to learn about vans, but what I found was something infinitely more nuanced. This is a podcast about life and experience. It reveals the common threads that make us human, and it's easy to connect with, no matter what your interest. Still searching for van content, though. Um, end of review. Thank you very much, Chevy Astro Van Heusen. Um, I hope you find the van content you're looking for instead of um, whatever this is, which is kind of like an interview that's based around a person who was recently in a van. I, I haven't been talking about the van specifically, because um, I don't really know about vans. Um, I do know that they can get you around the country to talk to interesting people, and they cost money when they need a new transmission. I know how much transmissions cost, um, and they're expensive, and I know that you need to take care of them. And uh, if your transmission is working, you should appreciate it for what it is, and just take the time to enjoy uh, your gears shifting smoothly. Um, so I really appreciate that. If you um, write a review and you want to put a question in that, I will 
I will answer the question on the air if you have a burning question, but otherwise I will continue to personally thank people who um, write a review because it lets other people know the show is uh, good enough to put um, electronic ink to electronic paper and talk about it. So, And also it makes me feel good. So mo- more important than the algorithm, it makes me personally feel good. So um, that's priority one here in the podcasting game. So I really appreciate that. It was it was a really great um, premiere week for the podcast. So thanks for everybody. Thanks for listening to it right now. Um, today this is this is Daniel Suelo. This is part one of Caveman Week or Troglodyte Week. Troglodytes are cave dwellers in anthropological parlance. Um, so Daniel Suelo is a is the man who quit money, and I I met him through. Uh, a man that I met in Moab, Utah, Marlo, who you're going to hear from later this week. Uh, Marlo is a friend of Daniel's. They used to live together in, you guessed it, a cave. So um, I met Marlo, and Marlo pointed me towards Daniel Suelo, who has a great story about living without money for 15 years. So Daniel, obviously, um, he he feels that uh, money is... Um, anathema to the kind of society he wants to live in and he kind of just in a very pure gesture he decided to live without money and he's, he's just a very wise guy he is very eloquent and thoughtful with the way he explains his beliefs which is really nice because sometimes when someone has that strong of a belief that um sincere and fringe of a social belief you know the vegans of the world um the you know the socialists um you know people who have strong beliefs that are not in the mainstream they talk your ear off and they make you almost um want to not believe the thing they believe because they're so adamant um and daniel suelo is not of this ilk daniel suelo is a wise sweet um mild-mannered man uh who just wants to talk about living without money um, yeah, so I met him through a friend, a new friend named Marlo, who you're going to hear from, and he was in Fruta, Colorado, which interesting is he's living with his mother now. His mother um, is getting getting old and needs needs help, so he wasn't living with her, and he had to kind of compromise his moneyless existence by uh, living with his mother again and helping to take care of her. So it's kind of an interesting story because he had to go from being this man living living out there to living with his mother again and he talks about that transition there was um there was one thread i did not close i hate when podcasts don't close threads and um that is uh how daniel suelo came to be called daniel suelo suelo is not his given uh surname he adopted the name suelo so uh he told me that and then i never followed up on that story and I have that story for you in the outro. So stay tuned to the outro, and I will fill you in on that. But um, until then, enjoy my interview with Mr. Dan Swift. Take it away, Steve. So I just had the pleasure of uh, meeting your mother, talking to your mom, mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of brought up the um, the living without money thing, and did it, did it worry you? And she brought up this accident. 
Um, and you said that it was 10 years before <laughs> yeah. you had given up money. So it didn't have anything, because it sounded like it could have been like an origin story. Yeah, well, <laughs> in the book that was written about me, that's he uses that as the origin story. Okay, the man who lived up, the man who gave up money? The man who quit money. The man who quit yeah. money, yeah. Yeah. So he builds, because obviously there's a, you need to build a narrative, right? People want a narrative for a book like that. Yeah. Um, so... So what was the, what was the accident? And, and do you it seems like you kind of dis, you're not quite on board with this narrative that he built? Um, yeah. Well, I freely told him. Okay. It's it's still uncomfortable talking about it, but I I wanted it open for everybody, so I told him it was a suicide attempt. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was, it was in in Colorado, and I drove off a cliff in uh, on Mount Ev Mount Evans near Idaho Springs outside of Denver. Wow. And um so do, uh do you feel as though that was the beginning of of your story or that was 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 that is that an accurate um narrative to ascribe? Yeah, I think so. Okay. It was Yeah, it was a determining factor for my life. Like okay. changed my the direction of my life, of course. Yeah. Like how could it not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. How could it not? <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, yeah. What was what was your life at that point? What was going on before that? What led up to that? Well, I had just come back from the Peace Corps. I'd been there in Ecuador for two years, and, and I kind of fell into clinical depression. Mm -hmm. And I was working at a homeless shelter in Denver. Or actually, that was my first job when I got back to the states. Homeless shelter in Denver, and then a caseworker at Travelers Aid, and then I moved to Boulder and worked at a homeless shelter there. And uh, I saw in a video. Yeah. That, yeah, you're talking about comparing um, comparing the conditions of people in Ecuador and like how happy they were and kind of the way they were living to to coming back to the United States and that that kind of conflict that yeah that that arose some of the some of the changes that you wanted to make. Yeah, because I I hadn't been out of Ecuador for two years except going into Colombia couple times but I started getting this idealized vision of the United States like coming back and everything would be great you know while and you were there you were picturing coming back and it would yeah be okay right. yeah and it, it seemed like it was just the opposite that it was I, worse yeah because I I just saw how fake everything seemed to me and uh, of course my mental condition wasn't that good either so I was seeing the lens seeing the world through a different lens but um yeah and just re-examining my whole life and uh and then of course working with the homeless right all of that together and uh i can imagine you kind of you're kind of seeing the way our society treats certain people and yeah they fall through the cracks yeah yeah it was a combination of a million different things you can't really pinpoint one certain thing right i mean it's a yeah right it's a total it's a total change of well would you consider it a complete change um in your life or do you think that there, the seeds of this sort of um anti-establishment again anti-system anti-capitalist uh mentality was that was that something that was kind of seeded in you earlier yeah yeah it was seeded in me earlier actually since i was a kid yeah i think yeah how so um well actually i'd I'd grown up in a really religious household and and Christian. Yeah, Christian. And 
um, basically, you just can't get away from it. The teachings of Jesus are very subversive, but they're kind of ignored. Yeah. Like the red letters and the New Testament are <laughs> off limits to <laughs> fundamentalists. <laughs> yeah, I noticed in your FAQ, yeah, in FAQ on your website, you did like, you're quoting a lot of scripture and you go, this is, a, this is one of the ones that's not getting quoted very often by yeah. Bible thumpers. So, so you're aware of all that stuff, but you're seeing how it's not being implemented. Yeah. And I saw that as a kid. I was thinking, why, why is this ignored? You know, and it, it kept bugging me as I grew older. And, and, um, when I was an adult, of course, I, I started expanding my vistas to other religions and philosophies. And still there was that gnawing core at the center the teachings of Jesus that it it really did drive me do you think yeah is it like is it because that was the one that you grew up with do you think that is kind of the kind of the language that was that that kind of coded you that kind of set the um that like that like the, the foundation of yeah. your philosophy yeah basically For, yeah. yeah it was something that you grew up with yeah yeah but then yeah you go on to I mean all over your website you're quoting the Bhagavad Gita and the Quran Tao Te Ching, yeah, yeah, you're well versed in all these religions. Yeah. yeah, like I started seeing these same patterns in all of them, and I thought it ironic that we base our civilizations, we revolve them around homeless people that <laughs> that gave up their possessions. Oh, you mean like and like Jesus? Yeah, and, like and Jesus Buddha and Buddha, and, right? <laughs> even Muhammad, like gloried in his poverty, right? No. And uh, right, and the, it's just it's just completely uh, hypocritical to to loud these figures, but not actually no one's actually uh, following in their footsteps. Yeah, and, and like, um, and that was that's been that's been bother- that was that was bothering you. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've we've turned them into icons or idols that we worship rather than actually listen to what they say. Right. Right. Or follow their example right if you didn't ever read the bible and you kind of went to church you'd think that jesus was a guy who hated swearing and premarital sex yeah and that's about it yeah, yeah. um and he wanted you to be nice and uh to, <laughs> to people just be just be a sweetie yeah yeah <laughs> um so after the accident you said that was 10 years before you legitimately gave up money you're working as the yeah. homeless coordinator homeless director that doesn't sound right well yeah, I was I was just basically a counselor at the first shelter, and then I was a caseworker at Traveler's Aid, and then back to shelter worker, counselor in Boulder, and then I moved to Moab and eventually got a got work at the women's shelter, where I was the homeless coordinator there. And then at, at some point, um, you became a homeless homeless coordinator. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I was in Moab, yeah. So you moved out of that. What's that first? Yeah, what was that like? The first apartment that you moved, the first living situation where you went from housed to unhoused. That was before you officially gave up money. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I basically the whole decade of the '90s in Moab, I was off and on living outdoors. In caves and yeah, in caves and camping out, and that was the first thing that that intrigued me about Marlow is he goes, oh yeah, I live in a cave not too far from here, and I I had never heard, I mean I'd never heard of a of modern person living in a cave, and he goes, it's very common. I pay you know I pay hundred bucks a month here or there. So you're on you're on BLM land, camping. yeah, yeah, I was on BLM land. Marlow's on private land that 
private cave. Yeah, <laughs> private cave. <laughs> but yeah, good rent though. It's a good deal. It's a good deal on a cave. I yeah. mean, if you told somebody in New York what he's paying in rent for that cave, you know, they'd be pretty jealous. I mean, it's pretty big too. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> so but, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, I was I was working at the women's shelter and I rented a little apartment and um, I also had school loans. Oh god! And I wanted to just blow them off, but they kept bugging me. And my parents had co-signed. If they hadn't, if I hadn't co-signed, had them co-sign, and they hadn't been bugging them, then I would have oh, just man. let it go. Right. But I thought I can't do that, so I, I just hunkered down. I wanted to save up all my money and just pay the loan off completely. Get that off your back, and because so. your parents are involved, if it was just yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. So then I moved into a cave, and <laughs> <laughs> then the money starts stacking up. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can really pay off that stuff. Were you able to pay off the debt? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, and then at that point, you're beholden to no one. Yeah. Financially. Yeah. Um, and then how close are we at that point to the... Because like every clip I saw on YouTube, they love this story of a man leaving $30, his life savings, $30 <laughs> in a phone booth and living on that money. They, I, I think they like, I mean, as we just yeah. discussed, ascribing a narrative, they like the idea of, they want to hear the story. They want to hear the $30 in a phone booth. So where yeah, where does that happen? Yeah, they, when does that happen? Yeah, they really did latch onto that one because it's everywhere. What if it was thirty two fifty? You know, like they like it being thirty two dollars, and then it was your life savings. Yeah. Well, I. It was in two thousand. Yeah, I'd paid off my student loan, and um, and I had been thinking like the whole year before that of just giving up all money. Okay. So I, that was already in my mind. Once you once but, you pay off this debt, get your yeah. parents out from underneath this yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I'd been thinking about that for long before, but I was really serious about it finally. And then, then at the beginning of 2000, I just hit the road. I still had money in my pocket. Mm -hmm. I had $50. $50. And, so you yeah. spent $20 somewhere along the way. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I paid for a parking ticket that I <laughs> with the $20 and uh, yeah and I, I uh, hit the road and I, I decided I wanted to visit different intentional communities and I visited a couple urban ones like in Seattle and and what kind of communities and what kind of, what kind of intentions do they have just uh um, a lot of people living in one house and um, sharing rent and um, and I was trying to see how simply people could live communally mm -hmm. so that was my idea in the beginning um, mostly because I was like I wanted to give up money but I was too scared to do it by myself still so yeah um, understandably so I yeah I went to Seattle and I checked out a couple you know, and I, I was like, yeah. What, what was what was wrong with them? What was the issue? Just, uh, they were nice and everything, but it was just not my vision. I still had this. I was caught between being tied down to like a community, and you have to you have to pay rent and a job. You still have to get a job, and um, I still had this 
vision of just being completely free. Yeah, yeah. You know. So it would, they and, weren't cutting it. They weren't going far enough. Yeah, it. they weren't going far enough. And then I found one community in the whole wide world. I I think I found it on the internet because it wasn't in the it wasn't in the intentional communities directories book because I looked in that too. But it was Gandhi Farm in Nova Scotia. Oh wow! And they lived completely without money and completely off of a permaculture land. What do you mean permaculture? Permaculture is just basically um, perennial planting. Like you don't have to keep planting and it works with nature and works with the... So it's like pre-agrarian almost? It's not... Almost. um, Yeah, a lot of natives kind of use permaculture, but you work with wild plants and and pretty much it's it's a way of coaxing agriculture to be self-sufficient like to no longer need human intervention oh wow okay so it's basically you you plant a garden and it's it provides continually without human intervention without i mean like without irrigation and all that yeah and gardening it sounds like you kind of like have a wild garden yeah okay and it works with animals and everything. Okay. Like it, uh, it mimics the cycles of nature. Okay. Basically. Because I was going to ask, uh, yeah, one of the first things I thought about was um, there are people who, upon investigation of human history, can kind of look and they and they think like, I think the agricultural revolution was our biggest misstep. We were we were yeah. living off the land, in peace and harmony as one of another animals on the earth, and then we kind of got greedy. And started molding nature to our to our ideas. Yeah, yeah. Would you exactly? I I, I pinned you as one of those people who. Yeah, it's a misstep. The the agricultural revol- revolution. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm one of those, and I. <laughs> I've in my mind, I've tied it with money. Like it's the same principle as money. Like the ideas that, and this is also the core principle of all these religions that I've studied is you do expecting nothing in return. Yeah. And it's kind of a pay it forward system. So you, and the idea of agriculture is the first idea of money. It's like you invest a seed and you wait for the reward and then you reap that reward. You reap what you sow directly. Right. And every year is going to be better than the last. You're storing up grain or whatever. And maybe you're, start start trading that grain for cattle you know the yeah. cattle are, are domesticated yeah yeah and it's about ownership it's about ownership of another species whether it's plant or animal like it all goes together and not allowing creatures the right to grow up basically we we breed them to be perpetually immature oh god wow yeah like we do that with plants we don't even let them reproduce without our control yeah and and then the idea of money is is you work for your own reward you invest and you reap what you invest instead of pay it forward the site the cycles of nature work on a pay it forward system which is why nature is balanced it's like a bear doesn't take a raspberry from a bush and try to pay it back has no conception of paying back yeah 
but naturally and automatically it's a pay it forward system. Right, it poops out the seeds and then the, the raspberry bush can maybe grow somewhere else because the bear kind of carried the whatever the yeah. seed. Yeah. Yeah. And it works itself out. And that's what birds do. They'll, they'll eat like Russian olive seeds and poop them out somewhere else. And um, Wait, the bird's happy, the olive's happy. Yeah. The bird eats and the olive gets to spread to another another area. Yeah. yeah. And everybody benefits. Right. So yeah, that's bottom line that that was kind of my philosophy that i was and that's what was happening at uh, gandhi farm in nova scotia um that's what i was envisioning like uh-huh. their idea was like um i think they did dumpster diving and permaculture and um minimal or no money and uh, but it was I had been hitchhiking around the United States, and I was in Seattle. And um, actually, by this time, it was the fall, because because I wanted to go to Gandhi Farm, but it, I didn't want to go to Nova Scotia in the winter in time. The winter time. <laughs> so I thought maybe I should just put this off. So I uh, I stayed with my sister in Seattle, and I thought I'll just get a job for the winter, mm-hmm. and then in the springtime I'll take off. I'll, and my goal was to go to Gandhi Farm, but it's foolish to do that now it was fall in the fall right so i thought but i my sister was like oh great you can stay with me and we've got an old car you can take it into seattle and look for work and great. whatever and yeah. said, okay so i yeah actually that was officially my last job i i got a job in seattle as an advocate for spanish-speaking people in a clinic do you speak spanish yeah well, my Spanish isn't that good, and it okay. wasn't then either. <laughs> and <laughs> are you are you of uh, Latin descent, the Suelo? No. Okay. Yeah, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> the way Suelo came about. <laughs> but, Was uh, it not your? Is that not your given name? No. Okay. You adopted that name. Yeah, and it was kind of by accident. And well, now I got to hear it. I can't <laughs> be teased any longer. <laughs> <I've got> to, <laughs> the listeners need to hear this. <laughs> Yeah, I could tell that story or or continue this. I one. see. Yeah, we'll get, we'll come back to it. Don't <laughs> worry. I've got I've got I've got a steel trap here. Don't worry. But yeah, I I was staying with my sister and I got this job. I got it right away. It's like there's lots of jobs in Seattle and I was kind of excited about it and it's like I'd never lived in Seattle before and it was kind of exciting and But I uh, my first day of work, I drove into Seattle and it was bumper to bumper traffic the whole way. My sister lived up in the suburbs of Seattle. And then I get there, and it was just complete chaos. It's like all these people calling and rattling off in Spanish. And and I was realizing my Spanish wasn't that good. <laughs> and and it was just like total pressure. And, uh, and finally, like midway through the day, my boss says, do you, do you really think you're going to enjoy this job? <laughs> <laughs> First day, the first day. Yeah, the very first day. <laughs> and um, then I was driving back to my sister's, and it was bumper to bumper. It took like almost two hours to get back. Seattle's gotten really bad with the traffic. They, yeah, they, they grew too fast for their infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah, and uh, so I I got back, and I was just really depressed, and I thought. I can't handle this. I, I don't want to be a part of this. Yeah. 
It's like when I was in bumper to bumper traffic, I I kept thinking about I can't even remember what movie it was, but this guy just like gets out of his car and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have done that if it hadn't been my sister's car. And <laughs> <laughs> just leaves the thirty dollars in the car and just yeah. go. Yeah. But I finally told her, I said, Okay, I the reason I'm staying here is because I'm too scared to go across the states and go to Nova Scotia in the winter time, but that's really my passion. Right. And um so I called up I called up the clinic and told them this isn't for me. Sorry to put you through all this interview stuff. Yeah. It's just not, you know, before it's too late, I'm out of there. So I didn't go back. And I felt really exhilarated and I told my sister, Yeah, I'm just gonna hit the road. I'm out you of here. You have the car, you're going to Nova Scotia. Yeah, and I, I uh, actually got a bus ticket. Oh, really? Yeah. You didn't want to take the car? No, she didn't give me that car. Uh-huh. But, it was just <laughs> <laughs> but that's where I got the parking ticket, too. <laughs> it was that first day of work. Like, I got a parking what ticket. What a day. Yeah. yeah. What a day. <laughs> Over 20 years ago, right? Is, um, yeah. Two, the year 2000? Yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I got a bus ticket to Nova Scotia or to Portland, Maine. And then I hitchhiked up to Nova Scotia. Oh, I didn't even I didn't even make the connection that it's on the east coast of Canada. It's really yeah. far away. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really far away. And going north for the winter. Yeah. And a bold move. But yeah, I had a really hard time hitching in Nova Scotia. It's like people do not like hitchhikers there. Really? Where where's the best place to hitchhike? Um in the year 2000. Probably in the west. Yeah. Like uh yeah, just most places in the west. Yeah. Not so much the Southwest, like Southern California and all along the border areas, not good. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you made it to the the Gandhi Farm in Nova Scotia eventually yeah. after the long bus trip. Yeah. And did it meet your and expectations? I imagine no. it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I got there, <clears throat> and it was just like walking into a Stephen King novel. What well, house? It was like so? the house was abandoned. It was like this big, looked like a big old mansion type place with uh, broken windows and curtains blowing out the windows. Oh, wow. And uh, I was like, this is weird. And I there was no way I could call them beforehand because they were off the grid. Yeah. <laughs> and so I walk in there, and it was like my heart sunk. It was like, and it looked like, you know, there's like graffiti and, and, uh, and they'd even throwing the wood stove down the well there was a well outside oh wow wood stove was why to get rid of it they didn't want it yeah later i found out that like just basically the neighbors harassed him to death and drove him out oh so they were gone yeah there was no one at gandhi farm there was nobody there oh it was it was abandoned it wasn't just dilapidated it was there was nobody there yeah there was nobody there wow and i kept looking for all these clues all over the house and um, there were like notes upstairs, and it was clear that somebody there was mentally ill. He kept it, it was like uh, in The Shining, like writing the same thing over. Somebody actually was doing that. Like, <laughs> All work and no play makes Jack yeah. a dull boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was like there was clearly somebody troubled, you know. And he's and that was talking the, suicidal. It wasn't even winter time yet. It was they weren't even going through. There was that was in the in the summer and fall. Huh? Yeah, this was yeah. this was from the 
the year before, the previous. like these little notes. And um, then I finally found this log book and there were papers strewn all over. It's like it was a, a three ring notebook with papers everywhere. And I gathered them up and pieced them together and found out that the last person who had stayed there was the spring before. Wow. So okay. not quite a year. Wow. And then there was like one, one or two people that hunkered down through the winter, you know, and they were talking about how cold it was. And then the, the director, or the guy that founded the place, he didn't say what happened to him, but it, there was this note, his parents came and got his stuff. You know, I was like, and then there was this other mentally ill person oh, that was wow. writing those notes. And um, so, was this discouraging to your kind of plan? Like the, the, these people, these people couldn't kind of make it through, and this is the closest community to the, to your values, and they didn't make it through. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, but it, it was mostly a disappointment that there was nobody there. And um, then I finally found a. Uh, it took me a while to find it. There was a note on the wall, and there was actually some food on a little table, and it said. Um, take whatever you need and if you want to know what's going on here call this number oh so there's a number to call and it was this woman in Halifax and finally I called her um, a few weeks later when I got out of there I hitched out of there and, and um, stayed with a friend in Halifax and she lived like a couple blocks away from okay. him and I called her and she said yeah the the place fell apart. The neighbors were harassing us constantly, and um, it's basically a redneck area. Okay. And Canadian rednecks. Canadian rednecks, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it just didn't work out. And the and the founder moved down to a Mennonite colony down in Central America. <laughs> oh wow! Oh Mennonites in Central. I didn't know they were there. Yeah. Central America. Mennonites. Yeah. Wow. I think in Belize, maybe. Wow. I think it was. So from there, is that when you decide to go out on your own and just do and do do the thing the way you want to want to do it? Yeah. Actually, after that got out of my system, it was kind of exhilarating because I'm like, okay, I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I have nothing. I, I just have $50. And, uh, and uh, my friend in Halifax introduced me to this other friend that had actually stayed at Gandhi Farm. Oh, wow. And she was thinking the same things I was. And we met and decided to hitchhike down the coast together. And uh, With no money? With no money. Well, we both had a little bit. She still had a little bit in her pocket. This is pre-phone booth. Yeah. And then my sister was pissed off because I'd left a parking ticket with her so I sent her <laughs> I sent her $20 and um, so then yeah then I had my $30 <laughs> and this whole time I I was still worried I, I was with Lorelai she was the first person I she was the Gandhi farm veteran that I hitchhiked with she knew how to dumpster dive, and and that was comforting. That was my first dumpster diving. And it's bountiful, right? These dumpsters, yeah. of course, behind yeah, grocery totally stores. Yeah, yeah, I have friends do the same thing. I mean, like, they, they, have to, they have to throw the stuff out 
like because of policy because the, yeah. the date on the thing and it's totally fine food yeah um and that's been a huge part of your life since since then yeah of your subsistence yeah yeah, yeah a huge part so yeah that was comforting learning that and it was comforting being with her but i still kept having these moments of freaking out like what am i doing out here and i only have 30 dollars and but at least i have 30 dollars yeah. that's my backup and all right and then i realized that was the problem like i kept thinking like this was somehow my savior this yeah. 30 dollars <laughs> and i realized that was my problem so i <laughs> so i decided to just get rid of it so yeah that's when i put it in the phone booth where's the phone booth where is this happening i think it was in pennsylvania okay we were on the east coast somewhere and uh, yeah so i went into a phone booth and laid it on top of the phone and <laughs> and it was just like this feeling of total exhilaration it was, you know i walked out and it felt like warm water pouring over my head wow like this baptism kind of thing <laughs> it's like whoa and i just felt this complete comfort like no matter where I am, I'm, I'm at home. Wow. It's like, um, what am I worried about? And So far, what has exhilarated you would not exhilarate anyone else that I've ever met. You know, these <laughs> things that exhilarated you <laughs> would strike terror in the, in the face of someone else. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I guess it's the intense challenge that exhilarates me. Like, like all I have now is my wits. Yeah. You know, there's just something... I guess I get high on that feeling. Yeah. And you've got a purpose now and you have a, you have yeah. a, you have an ethos that you're living to and there's, there's no hypocrisy to it. You're, it's pure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so then I, I, I imagine this all happening in Utah in, in, in an area where it'd be easy to sleep outside, but it's right now I, I have you in Pennsylvania and winter's coming. Is that right? Yeah. 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 It was fall. We were kind of following the, it was amazing from Nova Scotia clear down to Georgia. We followed the pattern of the leaves changing. Oh, wow. So it was color the whole way down. You get peak foliage the whole way yeah. down. Right. Yeah. The envy of our RV owners everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they would have loved to be you. Yeah. Following the foliage. Yeah. Yeah. That was what was great about hitchhiking because it was slow and just followed the foliage. <laughs> but yeah, Lorelai and I kept hitchhiking and had these visions of a moneyless tribe. We'd call it the moneyless tribe. Moneyless tribe, yeah. And um, we started learning different people wanted to join us. And um, How are you getting the word out, though? There's she, no, how, are you, how are you encountering people and in, in, in spreading this? She had a little website mm -hmm. that she was pushing on that. This was before facebook and everything <laughs> and um but also we both had the goal of hitching down to twin oaks community in virginia and i had a friend that was staying there and um we thought we'd ch check it out down there and an intentional community yeah uh, similar to gandhi farms um only there's people there yeah there's <laughs> lots of, it's a big one oh really like and it's really successful and had been going for quite a while still is and uh but it's not moneyless it's okay um and i from the beginning i had no intention of actually staying there i just wanted to check it out check it my out. 
I was mostly going as a guest to visit my friend there. Lorelai was toying with the idea of staying there, but sort of not. Um, but yeah, we went there and I stayed as a guest. She was, she stayed as a, a worker. You had, it's funny, you had to pay $50 to go through their program. Wow. And to get in? Yeah, to get in. You stay there and you work and you see if you like it. And I could go there for free because my friend was there. Okay, as a guest. As a guest. Yeah. And I wasn't going through their work program at first. But then I decided I wanted to join. You know, my friends were doing it. So I I decided I'd be a guest worker. And they they waived the $50 fee for <laughs> me. Because <laughs> I'd given you up You explained, all. yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, but yeah, they they told us both that we were qualified to stay there if we wanted. But we ended up pulling one person away. She decided to join us in our moneyless tribe, so we were a tribe of three then. <laughs> and then we visited a community in Savannah, Georgia, that was hooked up with Twin Oaks. Stayed there for a couple of weeks, and then this british guy joined us so then we were a tribe of four <laughs> and uh and you I, are you developing rules as a tribe i mean the rule is is no money but um do you find yourself sort of developing a kind of um culture as a as a group like having to have i mean hierarchies these are the dangers when you start you know getting a group together you need leaders and you need rules and yeah we were sort of working that out as we went because we were pretty haphazard and uh, we decided we'd have a rotating leadership so somebody would be a leader one day and make all the decisions like quick decisions that needed to be made and then we'd rotate it every day or two and to avoid corruption yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah that that little moneyless tribe didn't last that long. We we did all make it to Moab. You know, we hitched across the state, which is a great place to be. That's that's yeah. that's where I see it working out the easiest with all the all the government owned land. Yeah, and the the climate. Yeah. Um, although it's been kind of cold at night, at least. Yeah. The last couple of nights in in Utah, I couldn't help but notice living in a van that it was a little chilly at night. Yeah, it it can get really cold in yeah. the winter time there. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a deep freeze. Which is not I I, I came that's why, that's why I'm here in November cuz I thought it was going to be yeah. it's going to be easy living, but I've been wearing my coat and I've been using like a lot of layers at night. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite cold. It's getting colder too. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so Moab Moab was was at a home base for a while then cuz it yeah, seems like yeah. That was always my home base. Yeah. Like I'd end up going back there through my travels. It's very friendly to the kind of, it's it, do you think that if you were somewhere else it would be more difficult to sustain? this lifestyle uh possibly mostly i was there because i had friends there and it was comfortable it's what i knew yeah and lots of blm land that i could hide in right which is more difficult now it's it's overrun more with tourism now so it's getting harder harder yeah. to get a yeah stake a have a little 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 spot yeah cave yeah the uh yeah. there are there are people in the caves yeah Actually, it's funny, in the 90s, 
before I gave up money, we called it the low-income housing development. <laughs> like, there were several of us living in the caves. <laughs> the price is right. Yeah, you yeah. can't beat it. But it's not so much that way now. Yeah. You have to be more stealth. Right. Um, how are your teeth? My teeth are not very good. <laughs> I read yet. Yeah, I read the... Uh, <laughs> On the website, that was one of my favorite uh, 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 passages. Was uh, someone asked you about dental and visual, and you said that you would uh, you had to fix your own glasses for a while, and then you didn't have glasses for a year, uh-huh. and then you found free glasses at a thrift store that uh, more or less matched your prescription. Yeah, and I still do that. These are some I found in a <laughs> a Lions Club free box. <laughs> I kept trying them on until I found the correct. On the right. <laughs> yeah, those other ones finally fell apart. I, I miss them, but <laughs> <laughs> close enough, right? And then, but then the teeth. I mean, like that was harrowing to read. That the you're you're using. Um, what were you using to fill to fill your own cavities? Pinion sap. Pinion sap. And yeah. how did you learn how to do that? I just tried it. Experimenting. <laughs> yeah, because I knew it was antiseptic, and pinion sap is great for everything. I've used it for band aids and heals wounds like quickly and um and also for an antiseptic like i feel like i got rid of parasites with it once i had really bad stomach and i ate a ball of sap and it just went away wow and um so yeah i used it for everything i thought (laughs) well i could just put it in my cavities (laughs) (laughs) and that worked out okay yeah yeah the pain would go away and everything wow and i just keep packing them with that um, yeah, and in that passage, you said something like uh, uh, teeth and mosquitoes have been <laughs> <laughs> the cha- the, the, the uh, uh, a great teacher. Yeah. But you I, have not learned the lesson or something. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I forget what I said. Something like they make me doubt this whole thing. Like everything else you've come to terms with. And you're, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're very thorough. I really recommend if anyone has any questions, um, the frequently asked questions on your website – um, Daniel Suelo, whatever I googled Daniel Suelo and I found it, but um, it kind of goes through all the all the common questions that you'd have, and um, you have an answer for everything except for teeth and mosquitoes. It seems like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I liked. I like. I I I reflected the humility of that. That you go, yeah. There are limitations <laughs> where I don't really know. It doesn't really fit into the mosquitoes. Yeah, I'm so curious that like uh, you're you're bothered by mosquitoes, and obviously your teeth are causing you a lot of pain. Yeah. Yeah, I I uh I finally lost the tooth that I had the cavity in. Oof. But um and now it's gone. Yeah, now it's gone. But uh yeah, and mosquitoes um Yeah, I would sometimes I'd be up meditating and these mosquitoes would land <laughs> on me and it's just like I just can't be a nonviolent meditator. <laughs> these <laughs> mosquitoes. <laughs> You'd kill a mosquito. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have no guilt about it. <laughs> <laughs> They're asking for it. Yeah, that's part of the. That's part of natural selection. Yeah. Is, uh, you you try to bite my blood, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you still have not. You still have no answer for. You still have. Uh, you don't know what the lesson. The lesson that that these mosquitoes are trying to teach you. Yeah. Not. Not totally. <laughs> Just means. I guess it's time for me to move somewhere else. <laughs> They're not that bad in. Um, are, I mean, you know better than I would, but it's not, they don't seem that bad in. Well, the now desert. they aren't so bad in Moab because they have their mosquito abatement 
program, just oh. like they, I think they start doing that here in Fruta. Sometimes they'd be really bad. Yeah. And, uh, cause I imagine you're near, you want to be near water yeah. and that's where they'll, they'll be. And also, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, you, now you are in Fruta. You've been in the Fruta for the past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about the transition that you. It seems like you had to make for for family for family reasons, from this lifestyle that you were living in Moab without money, living in caves, and now you're staying and taking care of your mother, and you and you were taking care of your father as well. Yeah, yeah. Both my parents were alive when I, and I kind of saw this coming, and I was sort of dreading it, and I was dreading coming to fruta um at that time i didn't realize there were so many cool people living here oh good too. there's like a good kind of underground community here but um yeah and also i felt like with all the publicity and everything the book had just you know it, it had been out for a little while and I felt like there was all this potential. I had all these visions of what I wanted to do, like with Moneyless Community and um, a lot of people wanting to hop on board and all this potential. And then my mom called and said, you know, we really need help here. Yeah. And um, I said, okay. So I... I thought, well, this is just part of it. And uh, how did they get a hold of you? I didn't even think about that. How do they? How are they calling you? Um, did you have a phone? Email. Okay, right. Yeah, I, that you're checking at the library. Yeah, I checked yes. at the library a lot, and um, and I'd call them now and then too, but mostly email. So yeah, um, and so I moved here, and it was just like. It was kind of harrowing because my dad's health was going down really fast. Oh. Well, actually, my mom's health started going down faster than his in the beginning. And he actually thought she was going to go first. He even called church people over and to make funeral arrangements oh, and wow. stuff like that for her. And then a few months later, he died. Like he, His health went way down. Oh, wow. But during that time, it was like both of them. It was just like... Like I, I'd go out in the garage and scream a lot, you know. Out of frustration with the situation. Yeah, just like, no sleep and just it was just constant, like, day and night, like every twenty minutes I had to care for him and get up and. Um, it seems like and, it wasn't a difficult decision for you to make, though. Obviously. No, I I, and I told my friends that I said, yeah. If, that's just part of it like it would be contrary to my philosophy to put him in a nursing home right you know it's part of the whole package you know we take care of each other right and uh, even if it means giving up the life that you've sort of designed for yourself that also also matches your values yeah so you don't see you don't see it as a compromising well it is a compromise i guess but i mean you don't see it as a refutation of of your philosophy yeah yeah, in the beginning, I kept thinking of it as, yeah, I'd go back and forth, like, okay, I'm making a compromise in these areas, but not in this area. Like, everything's a compromise. Right. And, um, but also, my attitude, 
took a few years to adjust my attitude like because I kept thinking like I don't really live here I don't live in this suburban neighborhood so I wasn't like making much effort to get to know the neighbors right it's like I'm out of here as soon as this is over like mm -hmm. this is just a parenthesis in in my real lifestyle right right instead of it took a while to change my attitude like this is my life and to realize right, it's all it's all about the, it's all about presence with you right and so and, yeah and this is, uh, but you were maybe kind of rejecting this as your present you weren't living yeah. here in fruta you weren't being here yeah exactly and also it helped me to realize how much my ego was invested in the publicity like in being the man who quit money yeah you know and yeah because how long ago did the book come out um let's see what was it 2013 i think okay i think so a few years after it came out it seems like you had to come here you came here five years ago yeah so you had a yeah. little bit of uh if did, did you feel the um did you feel the publicity did you feel like the, the heat on you did you feel like the popularity of the book or anything a lot most of the time i didn't okay but then you know then i'd get these floods of emails and whatever and then had all these people that really wanted to hop on board with the moneyless tribe thing and 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 media, did they? media would what's that did they did you get like people who who joined you because yeah of the book yeah quite a few yeah people off and on they'd come and go a lot so that was happening a lot and um and I was kind of enjoying it, you know. I, um, but it was difficult at the same time, you know, just because um, people aren't as committed as they initially think they will be. Right. <laughs> and um, how long does it take for them to kind of realize? Does it like? Is there? Do you see a cycle? You go, this guy's gonna be here for two weeks. Is it like? Can you? Yeah. Can yeah. Kind you of can see kinda, it die in their eyes. Yeah, you can kind of see it, and. <laughs> The hardcore ones would stay like two or three months, and, and that's it. And then they, that's, yeah. But uh, yeah, and then, uh, but I, I felt like, yeah, and the and me, different media outlets, different different people would contact me, and that often got tiresome. Yeah, because I, I mean, there's ten videos of the same story. The thirty dollars in the phone booth. Yeah, and they go, "What do you eat?" And you say, "Dumpster dive and yeah. roadkill." Yeah, and they love hearing that, and they want to hear all about that. Yeah, um, and they're gone. It's a they go, we have our ninety seconds of footage, and we'll we'll take off now. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what happened. <laughs> but it was. But I kept feeling more and more like, well, I could really use this as a tool. The like, book and the publicity. Yeah, yeah, like this is, I could really shake things up. Yeah, here, and, um, you know, my gears were turning and all these things I could do, and then it was all like the rug got pulled out. Yeah, so then I come here and the media completely lost interest. Yeah, like, who who wants to interview a guy that's taking <laughs> care of his parents? <laughs> <laughs> right, and I assume you're you're using you're, you you need to use money, whether or not it, whether or not it's yours. You need to you need to be using yeah. money. There's there's bills to pay in this house. There's things there's medical yeah. expenses that are being paid. Yeah, yeah, and that's the irony. Is like okay, now I'm now I'm the power of attorney, and I have the 
the, the bank account is now in my name and I have to pay all the bills. I go <laughs> do the groceries shopping. I have to fight with all of the people trying to scam old people. You know, oh, really? You know, oh, all this kind of stuff, oh, like all God. these money scams and, and, um, and it was really difficult for me at first going to city market and shopping. You know, I just, uh, it was just like rubbing me the wrong way. You wanted to go and go around back. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah, seriously. You have to think that was dumpster. Actually, I hadn't done it for so long. I was in a panic attack. Like, I didn't even know how a card, like I'd never used debit cards before in my life. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't It had been like 12 or 13 years at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Um, 15 years. Wow. And, um, yeah, and I'd never used these like automatic teller thing or auto automatic checkouts. And, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. that's something that developed <laughs> since I had given up money. And, the world got itself in a big yeah. damn hurry, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but thinking about the whole thing, like coming to resolution with, realizing how much my ego was attached to the moneyless the man who quit money now i realized i had to give up my attachment to non-attachment <laughs> it's funny right the irony and of I, it yeah and i still you know i still grapple with that and um but yeah it's all about being in the present and in a lot of ways i've um I've learned a lot more, like I've reached more, come to different plateaus than I wouldn't, than I would have in my other lifestyle. Like, yeah, it's like deeper levels of non-attachment. Like, um, Right, non-attachment, it's like non-attachment to non-attachment. So yeah, yeah, yeah how has this reconciliation of your values um, do you, so you, it seems like you feel like it's deepened, it's deepened your values because of yeah, yeah, and I still feel passionate about the the whole moneyless world idea, but it's also given me a lot of time these past five years to process everything and to crystallize my philosophies even more, and because and now also, it's not about you necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, and also to be more compassionate toward people who are just basically stuck in the system. Right. Like it's as you are now. Yeah. You are it's through no yeah. through no choice of your own, through no, I mean like it, it, you had no choice. Yeah. Yeah, cuz when I first gave up money, I I could be pretty self-righteous about it. You know, and and that's something I learned through the whole 15 years of no money is kind of dropping a lot of that self-righteousness because i'm sure right this it's i'm sure it's, it's difficult to be so passionate about it and then to not um view people who aren't who don't share your values with like with some disdain yeah right yeah um and that's faded yeah and it rubs me the wrong way when i see that in like young people that are you know i i i really love their passion but there's this certain radical self-righteousness yeah that, that can really turn people off it can do the opposite of what your intentions right are. it's like any other religion it's like yeah. a religion right the zealotry yeah. turns people yeah. off and then it closes it closes that door yeah yeah um 
we haven't you talked about um the travels that you you've done you mentioned uh, hopping trains and riding long long uh-huh. bike rides across the country this is all during this 15 year period yeah without money um you hop a train with a bike yeah i'm curious about that <laughs> yeah i'd hop trains a lot but without bikes and um yeah i ran into some homeless guy he said yeah you can hop a train with a bike why not <laughs> it's like you just wait for the train to stop and you can choose your car leisurely and throw your bike in there it's not even it's hopping like, it then really right yeah if it stops, yeah, it's I, not I really imagine hopping. it yeah i imagine it it's moving but you can just yeah yeah okay yeah because when i first started hopping trains i was literally hopping them <laughs> and realizing how dangerous that was and yeah. then i realized um trains the tr- the tracks go double every four miles and you can just wait there and wait for a train to stop and just leisurely get on so not at a, not at a train stop but at somewhere where another train is passing yeah they have to, they have to stop but it's not at a, at a designated train stop yeah okay every yeah. four miles yeah good to know yeah you have to wait a lot longer but it's <laughs> it's worth it <laughs> when you don't have any place to go yeah you can quickly get, right you're not gonna be late for anything you'll be fine yeah um I went to a uh, I went to a Catholic university that it's a Franciscan university. Are you familiar with Saint Francis at all? Yeah, because I'm sure. Yeah, uh, that I mean, your story reminded me a lot of of Saint Francis. Yeah, Saint Francis has always been a hero of mine. Okay. Too. Yeah. yeah. He. Yeah. I mean, he. Uh, right. He's begging alms and just take. Yeah, taking what comes, um, and following. Yeah, following the footsteps of Christ as close as closely as possible to to like to the letter. Not. Yeah. Any, not any interpretation. <laughs> Um, but like the pure, you know, straight from the horse's mouth vision of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to bring that, I wanted to make sure I got that in before we, uh, um, how, um, how are you, how do you view, I can't imagine that you view politics, um, in any, I can't imagine you're involved politically because it seems as though there's nobody is representing your interests. <laughs> Are you interested in politics at all? At this yeah. Election year? Yeah. I've gotten actually, since I've been here, I've gotten, it surprised a lot of people cause I've gotten more into politics. Oh really? Yeah. Cause I like, ideally it's like everything. It's like, ideally I'd like everybody to just drop out and not, politics would go obsolete right no go an- anarchy yeah anarchism yeah yeah and i see both political parties as totally beholden to the um industrial military complex right and it's like a good cop bad cop game <laughs> but but they're both bad cops yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're being the both cops or yeah. one's pretending to be the good guy exactly exactly <laughs> exactly yeah but, but yeah, I I voted and I I've I felt like like ideally I want to boycott the whole thing. But yeah. by boycotting, like I see as not voting is really meaning meaningless. Like yeah, that's not boycotting anything. It doesn't. But like right, what yeah, we that's really like, that's, actually, that's the largest political party in in the United States is non-voters. Yeah. It's like you're joining the a big apathetic mass. Yeah. Yeah. And it means it doesn't change anything. It doesn't. So I thought, well, I I can at least 
influence the the evil one direction or right. the other. <laughs> but but the true the true boycott is is boycotting consumerism. Mm -hmm. Like the true votes are with our dollars and cents. Yeah. And if you really want to change things, you you boycott in that way. The the movements that have been the most effective in history have been boycotts. And um, that's that was Gandhi's whole thing. Right. That was what started the American Revolution. You know, that's what speaks. You stop feeding the monster instead of trying to persuade the monster. Negotiate. To be, <laughs> yeah. You just don't feed it. Right, right, right. And then it has to change. Yeah. So yeah, is this so? Yeah, this seems like you started starting to define how you are, how your values are being expressed in this iteration of your life. Yeah. I'm curious about that. How how are you maintaining? How are you keeping the faith? Um. Well, I still. I still live as simply as possible. I still dumpster dive, but there aren't very good dumpsters here in Fruita. Okay. And I buy as little as possible, so I'm shopping for my mom, and um, so basically just as minimal as possible. But but learning to compromise too. Um, and I philosophize a lot, and I share my ideas a lot with with the blog and on Facebook I'm on Facebook <laughs> and um which is I'm sure that's sort of a uh, that's sort of a con uh, a compromise right? yeah yeah and maybe it's uh self-justification I don't know and th this is kind of how I felt before I was here with my parents it's like there's no way you can get around to being completely separate from civilization it's dominated the whole earth right basically but i kind of view it as pigeons roosting in skyscrapers and bears dumpster diving and um barnacles and corals attaching to sunken ships right it's like nature uses everything nature yeah. doesn't make distinctions like this is natural and this is not But the funny thing is, is that regarding things as natural and not natural is itself not natural. <laughs> kind of like making those distinctions. Like yeah, like yeah. like the money mind says this came from money, so don't use it. Then the non-money mind doesn't even see money involved. It just right, sees it an from, object. Right. Right. There's a computer this library, and I can use I can use this computer at the library, it's already here. I'm not taking it from anyone else. I'm not using it in a way that is like taking. It's yeah. just like, it's just here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, and, um, yeah, so, and a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their minds around that. You know, people, that's been the, that's actually been my biggest source of judgment from like this whole time living without money is people are like, Oh, you're a hypocrite. You use the library. You're a hypocrite. You blah, blah, blah. Or you have glasses. <laughs> it doesn't glasses. matter that the, yeah. I, the glasses were going to be thrown away. Right. You know, or, or you, 
you use stuff that's created by industry in the dumpster and yeah well so does nature it's like right. you just it has to be used it right. has to be recycled it's and you and you did you went without glasses without glasses for about a year and you, yeah. you wrote that uh it made everything look like a like a monet painting yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very positive way of looking at having no glasses <laughs> it's, uh, and it's impressionistic yeah it's yeah. great <laughs> it lends a nice blurriness to everything yeah <laughs> yeah but you're back. Are you wearing contacts now? No. Oh, you have to, these no, are have, the, yes. Yeah. And these ones that I found, they turn dark outdoors, and I don't like the dark, so I take them off. But the transition, yeah, the transition yeah. lenses, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have sunglasses that I can just put on when right. I want. <laughs> right. But you know, until yeah. someone throws one, a pair out, then yeah. uh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what about the what? Where uh, where do you want this? I mean, if it is a movement. Um, all ego aside, all, all of that stuff, as you said, you've put it away, but where would you like this, these ideas to go? This, this, these philosophies, these values that you've upheld and stood for, where do you see them going? I guess I see it like, like everything in nature, it has to be organic. Like it has to be stuff that grows in people's passion. And that's what I want to plant like seeds of passion in individuals like once in a while I get in this idea that we could have an organization or community that's one thing that kind of drove me away from staying at intentional communities I think they're great models they're but for my for what I wanted to do they weren't it like I wanted to live in society as it is as if it already is a moneyless society, like to cultivate what's already here, like at our deepest core, we are moneyless. Like our interactions are just freely giving and freely receiving. Right. Just every breath we take, that's the foundation of it all. It's like we are freely taking from a communal atmosphere with, with no thought and freely giving back and there's no possession of the air it's just in and out and by nature it's all a perfectly communistic system it's like that's our true nature and to cultivate that what's already here instead of trying to start an organization that's right. what I keep the arti- back artificial to. versus natural. Yeah. The, the organizations are an artificial uh, ascribing of these values where the values are inherent. Yeah. And they're inherent at the core of the world's religions too. And that's what I like to keep bringing up and it it bugs most Christians to death, you know, to, yeah. to actually come to face face to face with these principles at right. the core of Christianity like communal living and freely giving, freely receiving, no possessions. And, you know, and then just looking at how this happens already, it happens in families, we don't even think about it. Right. Even the highest CEO of the biggest corporations, they have this happening in their own 
households and right, they their go friends. Home. Right, they freely give, of course. Right. Yeah. And if you just so you, you could just expand that out all the way to the, to the ends of society, so that the entire society is a family. It's like everyone, yeah. everyone's loving one another as if they were brothers and sisters or children of God. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. it's all right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we we look at it as oh, that's impossible. That's overwhelming. Like t- to think you could this whole thing could change, but when you think about it, civilization is just a tiny blip in time in a moneyless universe. Like it's an infinite moneyless universe and our money system and our civilization has only been around for a few thousand years. Right. And we think of that as big and overwhelming, but it's, and it's, it's self-imploding. It, it will self-implode. It, like anything that's artificial, has to maintain itself by force and there's only so much force we can expend till we self-implode wow and uh and that's also a an idea like like it's biblical prophecies too like all these major civilizations will self-implode and now we're seeing it happening on a worldwide level and it feels overwhelming, but it's just inevitable. It has to self-implode. Do you think that the, that it's happening now? Do you think that that it's a, the implosion has started? Yeah, I think okay. so. And that that's another thing I've thought about, like with before I came to take care of my parents. I thought, well, maybe it's a good thing, like for civilization to collapse. So bring like I want to cultivate these ideas until that happens so there's a foundation yeah and then when it does collapse we have something to fall back on and then I thought then then moneyless community could really happen and then I thought well wait it it already is happening in a lot of places like Detroit like Detroit was in my mind and also these little towns all over the west are just fizzling up. They're drying away, drying up and blowing away. Um, so I thought, well, maybe maybe we could have a little moneyless tribe take over one of these towns or in Detroit. And this guy in Detroit was like, I was in contact with him. He's like, let's let's do something here. I've wow. already got something going. You know, and and that felt organic to me. It's just like. It's an opportunity. You take it and you use it. And, uh, Did anything happen in Detroit? No, that's that's when my mom called and I came here. I see, right. It was right about that time, and this guy was like really disappointed. And I was like, oh, and, and I don't know if anything happened. Yeah. With that, but. Um, well, I've taken over an hour of your time already. Oh, that's um, all right. Well, thank you very much. Um. What would be what would be like a call to action that you'd have for just an average person listening, a young person, someone who's just out there who's interested in this? What would be your what would be your advice, your recommendation? How could they um, take your story and 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 use it as a as a lesson? Um, again, I'd say just work with what you have. Like, if you feel like you're inside of bounds and you can't get out, work within those bounds. Like, you can stop consuming so much. You can stop buying 
things you don't need and you can freely give and freely receive from whoever inside your cloistered bounds it's it's everywhere and that that's what i'd say and, and i feel like when we work with what we already have which is manageable then what's unmanageable becomes possible yeah like it's that's the way it is with everything it's what happens if you're trying to do a math problem if you if you look at the whole thing you get overwhelmed but just stick with what you know and what you can first step second step yeah yeah one step at a time yeah um what about uh okay my, i'm curious about eating roadkill i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry but i know i know that's what the local news came and asked you about but um i mean like so a deer gets hit by a car and and you you're walking home or you're you're walking around on on your walks in moab and you see a deer um what happens next <laughs> i'm sorry this is i mean i don't know that's great i mean I, I i don't i don't know yeah sorry that's, that's the question I <laughs> well i would yeah i would stop and i'd get excited wow there's a deer we're and, eating uh, tonight yeah and and then i'd feel it like if it's cold and stiff too cold and stiff then it's like maybe not but rigor mortis sets in pretty fast so okay. even then the meat's can still be good so then i would like cut off a square out of the rump or the back and um, right there on the side of the road yeah i'd try to drag it down where nobody could see because um i think in most states it's illegal to mess with roadkill yeah like that but um but yeah i would i would cut off a chunk and then it's easier when I'm on a bike, like when I'm hitchhiking, it's, <laughs> you know, I can't tell people, hey, stop here. <laughs> hey, what's that? Wow, so, look at that. But yeah, my whole bike trip, I went from Seattle, clear down to San Francisco. That was my main staple was deer and squirrels too. Wow. And I was, I thought I would lose weight. Like I was just biking all day long, like every day for weeks and I actually gained weight. <laughs> well, you probably From, gained muscle. Yeah. 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 It just gave me. And all that protein. squirrel protein. Yeah. yeah. And what was amazing is it was better and more tender and delicious than any prime beef or anything. Really? Yeah. I, I was just amazed. And I would serve it to friends that I'd meet and they were like amazed, like, whoa. <laughs> so you thought you'd be holding your nose and kind of suffering yeah. through it, but it ended up being, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, what's it? It's like free range, you know, yeah. it's a free range animal. Yeah. Um, killed quickly. And not at all, no gamey taste at all. <laughs> of course, that's the West Coast. Like, I guess the deer are living off of fields, like farm fields or something. <laughs> but, but yeah. And, um, that's kind of bothered a lot like i have a lot of vegan friends like i call myself a freegan again it's like yeah i feel like it's the same principle using what you have and like i have no problem with hunting and killing animals if you need to like societies that have hunted and gathered have been the, the most imbalanced with their environment and the most respectful of animals and nature of any other societies right but obviously we can't all hunt and gather now but 
I almost feel like it's a duty. Again, it's like we have to recycle. We have to use, like, I feel like it actually reinstills dignity into that animal to actually consume it. Like whether it's from a dumpster, like I think of all these factory farm animals going into dumpsters, into landfills. Right. Yeah, they they were they were killed for nothing essentially. Yeah, if they yeah yeah, but I feel uncomfortable killing animals when there is so much like dumpster meat and roadkill. Right, readily available. So you never yeah. hunted at any at any point during the moneyless phase. Yeah, I have a few times, just small animals, and how would you do that? Traps like squirrels. Oh, traps. Yeah. Like uh, just throwing rocks at, like I've done that with, um, like pigeons and ducks and rattlesnakes. <laughs> I've thrown rocks at them and <laughs> killed them, and and then made traps for squirrels. And, and How uh, is squirrel meat? It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. What would you compare it to? Chicken. <laughs> it tastes like chicken. Yeah, sort of like the brown meat of chicken, but yeah, but not even quite that. Like I would compare it to guinea pig, cause, but nobody's <laughs> eat, nobody here has eaten guinea pig, right, so I right, can't right. do that. <laughs> um, oh, great. Well, thank you so much for, for, for giving me your time and your thoughts today. Yeah, no um, problem. Thanks. I would point people to your website. I think it's very interesting. There's There's so much more on there all i mean like i kind of felt relieved once i saw it because it's like oh i can have a conversation without having to like break down all of these logistical questions that i have because they're all answered on your website all these you know how, what do you eat how do you bathe how do you do laundry how are you where, what are you using to communicate and transportation um it's all kind of it's all written beautifully there all those all the answers to those questions um what is your website uh, what's the address um it's a Google site. Yeah, the, it's, I can't remember. I it. searched it's, your name and it was the third just, or fourth thing. Yeah. Just Google living without money. Yeah. And it'll come up. Or it's hooked up with my blog, which is zerocurrency.blogspot.com. Zerocurrency.blogspot. And it's called Moneyless World. And are you still, are you still making entries? Yeah. Great. Not as often. Yeah. But yeah, my last one was... I'm working on a bicycle camper. Oh, cool. Or, yeah, so I'm preparing for life without money again if <laughs> if, if it ever happens. When I'm, a bicycle camper, how is that going to work? Um, is it big? Yeah, we could it's in the garage. Sure. You <laughs> we can take a look it. at it, sure. <laughs> um, but like it's a it's a it's the size of a tent. Yeah, on it's, the back. It's big enough to stretch out in inside and big enough to sit up in and it's built over a a child's bike cart. Oh, cool! And um, and I shingled it with with aluminum cans. And, there you uh, go. Yeah, it's and painted it up all fancy. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> That's great. Is that well? Yeah. What do you what do you th- what do you see as, as next for you? Next chapter in your life? How how are you seeing that unfold? Honestly, I have no idea, except that I built this thing and I'll hit the road and I have no idea what direction <laughs> I'll go. But <laughs> Amazing. Is there anything else you want you want uh, people to know? Hmm. Can't think of anything. All right. <laughs> Great. Yeah, well, check thanks. out the website. Thank you so much for talking to me. This is so, so illuminating. Really appreciate yeah, thanks, it. Thanks, Terrence. Have a good one. 
great. That was Daniel Suelo. Um, what an amazing interview. What an amazing man. Um, I got to see his home and meet his mother. Um, it was just, I felt very welcomed. He was sweet. Um, after I left the interview, his mother brought me over again and she goes, I want to show you something that Daniel made me. And I was wondering, I thought it was going to be like a piece of art or some sort or like a piece of literature, but it was, a, it was this big binder and she put it in my lap. Um, and, uh, it was just a large print version of the gospel. It was like one sentence per page, large print gospel. And, uh, he had, I guess he had enlarged it for her and printed it out, but it was like as big as a phone book. Like he made the gospels like that big of a book. And she was so proud of her son for doing that. Um, okay. So, uh, how Daniel Suelo came to be called Daniel Suelo here, here it comes. Um, I messaged him on Facebook and, uh, great Facebook follow by the way, Daniel Suelo great on Facebook. I don't know if he'll friend you back, but he's great on Facebook. Here's the story. Back in the early 2000s, I hooked up with some forest activists and started tree-sitting in both national forests and state forests in Oregon and a little bit in Northern California. We didn't use our legal names. I took the name Yasi, short for Sani Yasi, which I started feeling was pretentious and wanted to change it. After a couple months tree-sitting on the Oregon coast, they started cutting down trees around me. They told me I was officially under arrest, though they didn't know my legal name or my appearance, I was so high up. I managed to save the little grove, but cutting was over, and I snuck out of the tree at night, and friends whisked me away to their house. The next morning, they took me to a coffee shop and introduced me to other friends. They said, you can't use your old name. Quick, think of a new one. I saw a bumper sticker that said, all soil is sacred, and said that Suelo was my new last name without even thinking. Suelo is Spanish for soil. So everybody on the West Coast knew me as Suelo, never Daniel. Then I'd go back to Moab and everybody called me Suelo. For my email, I used both I used both Daniel and Suelo, Daniel Suelo. Years later, when I started getting publicity, the first journalist thought Daniel Suelo was my actual name and published it in the first article that way, unbeknownst to me. So Daniel Suelo became my public name. So that is the, that thread that was closed. Um, if you want to know more about Daniel Suelo, I recommend just Googling him. There's videos of him being interviewed um, by like local news people um and the faq on his website which i did mention in the interview a bunch of times is awesome if you have any questions that i didn't cover in the interview they are on there and he explains them in a really really beautiful way um so it's just a great read and it, it kind of took the pressure off me i didn't have to like think of uh these basic logistical questions about living without money um so thanks again for listening everybody as always um, the, uh, logo was designed by Rudy Schultz. He does great work. And the theme song is by Steve Gerard. Steve Gerard records music under the name Sofos, but he's got a new band. It's called Crown Blue. Uh, check it out. If you like the theme song, it's a lot like that. He's a very talented guy. Um, so we'll catch you next time. See ya.